morning, everyone. Glad to have this opportunity to stand before you. David has quite a bit of trust, <laughs> but we're glad for David and, and Kelly, Anna, and Kayla, and Andrew. Uh, in this moment, we don't know quite what the status is. Maybe we'll know more here in just a little bit with the announcements. But our prayers are certainly with them, and we pray that all goes well, and then he will be back with us in the pulpit very soon. How many of you can uh, recite the 12 apostles? Who are the 12 apostles of Jesus? Maybe some of us can. Uh, I couldn't just really sit down and just like that uh, recite them. But I want to be talking about one that we don't hear much about, and that is Andrew. And I think the lesson that we can get from Andrew, we don't know that much uh, about him. But what we do know about him, I think there are some powerful lessons that we can have for our own self uh, today. And one of the main things is that uh, God uses the great and the small to accomplish his purposes. And this has always been the case from the beginning of time. God does work in mysterious ways as wonders to perform. And we can't always understand uh, God's mind. Of course we can't. He is God and we are man. But uh, God does work in his own way and in his own wisdom. And one of the things about the way God works is, as I said, that he uses the great and the small to accomplish his purposes. In the scriptures, there are a lot of uh, analogies to this effect. One of them is in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, where it's talking about the uh, body and that the body is one member, but yet consists of uh, uh, many members. There's one body, but yet many members. And on down in verse 23 of uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, in the middle of that context, he says that in those members of the body which, he, which we think to be less honorable on these, we bestow greater honor. And our unpresentable parts have greater modesty. And then he continues on. But that, that's an example of sometimes uh, that which we deem to be small and insignificant and unimportant is really great in God's sight because he can use them. There is the analogy of the potter over in Romans chapter 9. And it uh, goes along the lines of, can uh, that which is made say to the one who made it, why have you made me this way? And even it says, uh, I begin with verse 20 of Romans 9, but indeed, O man, who are you to reply against God? Will the thing formed say to the one who formed it, why have you made me like this? Does not the potter have power over the clay? from the same lump to make one vessel for honor and another for dishonor. 
And so God does indeed use the great as well as the small to accomplish his purposes. And that brings us to our discussion of of Andrew, the Apostle Andrew. Just a little bit about him that we can uh, derive from Scripture. Uh, Andrew had a brother, uh, Peter. They were from Bethsaida. Uh, which we know to be on the north shore of the Sea of Galilee, and they were fishermen. They became, both uh, Andrew and Peter, became disciples of John the Baptist, and they went down to where John was baptizing him. And the scripture says that when Andrew believed Jesus to be the Messiah, he began to follow Jesus. And then after Jesus' baptism, they returned to Galilee, and they returned to their fishing business. But they continued uh, as disciples of Jesus. Then after John was in prison, they responded, both Andrew and Peter, to Jesus' call to be fishers of men by leaving their nets to follow Jesus full time in his ministry. And then when Jesus officially chose his 12 apostles, Andrew was among them. Jesus chose Andrew to be one of his apostles. The best that I could determine, there are really only four primary mentions of Andrew in all of the New Testament. In John chapter 1, We see that Andrew is the one who introduces Peter, his brother, to Jesus the Messiah. Another mention is found in John chapter 6. And here we remember the context of the feeding of the 5,000. It was Andrew who showed the five loaves of bread and the two fish to Jesus, which he in turn turned into a feast feeding 5,000 people. Then again in John chapter 12, there is just passing mention of the fact that uh, Andrew introduced some Greeks to Jesus. And then the fourth mention that I was able to find in Mark chapter 13 was when Andrew was uh, asking Jesus concerning his prophecy of the destruction of Jerusalem. And that's it. That's really all that that we can derive from uh, the New Testament of the Apostle Andrew. But I think as we look at three of these four mentions this morning, that we will find three powerful lessons from this little-known Apostle of Jesus that we certainly can use in our lives today. We'll begin by looking at the context in John chapter 1. And I'll be reading uh, verses 40 through 42, John chapter 1, verses 40 through 42. One of the two who heard John speak followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which is translated the Christ, and he brought him to Jesus. So here we find that uh, it was Andrew pretty much who was responsible for leading Peter, his brother, to the Messiah. 
Uh, and so I think the lesson that we can learn from this is the power of one. The power of one. Let's look at this and analyze it a little bit. Andrew, upon believing Jesus to be the Messiah, the first thing that he did was tell his brother, Peter. That was the first thing that he did. Peter, in turn, after Andrew introduced him to Jesus and brought him to Jesus, Peter believed in Jesus to be the Messiah. And from this point on, Peter rises in prominence over Andrew. It's interesting. Just consider what all Peter, Andrew's brother, went on to accomplish. In Matthew chapter 2, Peter himself was also chosen to be an apostle. In Matthew 16, we find that it is Peter who was given the keys of the kingdom to heaven. In Acts chapter 2, it is Peter who was the first one to bring a gospel sermon on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, and 3,000 were baptized in the establishment of the church. It was Peter who preached to Cornelius and defended the gospel being carried to the Gentiles in Acts chapter 10. A little bit later on in 1 Peter chapter 5, we find that ultimately Peter went on to become an elder in the Lord's church. And then, of course, as we know, Peter wrote two of the books of the New Testament, First and Second Peter. So here is Peter. Andrew first, though, recognized Jesus for who he really was and came to believe in him. His very first thought and instinct was, I've got to tell Peter about this man. We have found the Messiah. And Peter believed as well, and he became a follower. And then look at what all Peter became. Hardly any mention ever again of Andrew. But I think it illustrates the power of one. I think it instructs us to be attentive to this fact, that the power one person can wield that will have tremendous uh, results as a result. Peter's success and prominence goes back to Andrew introducing him to Jesus. Had he not done this, we don't know but what Peter may have gone ahead to believe and obey. But at least the Holy Spirit indicates to us that it goes back to Andrew. And Andrew's love of Peter and his wanting him also to become a disciple of Jesus. It goes back to Andrew. And the same principle is true today. I would like to uh, read something. I remember sharing uh, this uh, several years back in a class here. Uh, but I'd like to share it with you again because I think it illustrates so greatly this uh, lesson that we're learning from John chapter 1 and Andrew bringing Peter to Christ and the power of one. In fact, this uh, little article is entitled The Power of One. It is by Flavel Nichols. 
Flavel, as you know, is one of uh, two or three sons of Gus Nichols, who preached for so many years down in, in Jasper. We know Brother Gus Nichols. This is by Flavel, one of his sons, and a preacher of the gospel. During the war between the states, a young woman learned the truth and obeyed the gospel. Her sweetheart, J.H. Halbrook, was a Confederate soldier. He was captured by the Union Army and kept a prisoner in Michigan until the war was over. He was given a ticket to Nashville, Tennessee, and $2.50. From there, he returned to Centerville, Tennessee, and found what was left of his home and family. He found his girlfriend, and they were married. His wife studied the Bible with him, and he soon became a Christian. He thought the truth was so good and so simple that he began to teach and baptize many of his friends and neighbors. He began to preach, but he recognized his need for more training, so he came to the original Mars Hill Bible School in Florence, Alabama, taught by T.B. Larimore. Upon completing his studies there, instead of going back to Tennessee, they moved further south in Alabama, coming into Walker, Marion, Fayette, and Lamar counties in Alabama. One of his many converts was Charlie Alexander Wheeler. His wife taught him to read the Bible, and along with his wife, C.A. Wheeler obeyed the gospel and soon began preaching to others. He started more than 100 congregations and baptized more than 6,000 people. But wait, the story is not ended. One of those 6,000 was my father, the late Gus Nichols. 12,000 were baptized under his preaching. Among those baptized by Gus Nichols, no one knows nor can know how many began to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. But I personally know several. I, Flavel Nichols, am one whom he baptized and whom he encouraged to preach the truth. And under my preaching, about 3,000 have been baptized. A few among them preach the gospel also. Only eternity can reveal the total results of the conversion of that one girl nearly 150 years ago. The results are not yet all in, but this shows that 21,000 people have become Christians through this single thread in the fabric of her influence. Jesus said in Luke 10, 37, go and do likewise. You are important too, dear reader. If you go to heaven, others probably will be saved by you. For what knowest thou, O wife, whether thou shalt save thy husband? Or how knowest thou, O man, whether thou shalt save thy wife? Let your light so shine before others that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Each one, each one is important. Flavel Nichols, Huntsville, Alabama. 
And there are so many other stories of like nature that we could go to. But the lesson is, is simple from Andrew. And that is the power of one. Don't ever underestimate your worth in the kingdom. Who knows what all God, and it is God working through all of us in anything that we do. But who knows what God is doing through you right now and throughout your life. Others may receive the limelight. Others may receive glory and recognition. While you just do what you do and are quiet, going about your business, you will never know what all good your influence, your godly influence will do. There is power in one. So take comfort in that and feel good in a righteous way about that. God is using you. He's using me. And we may never know the total results. But that's one lesson that we get from this little known apostle, Andrew. That is the power of one. He led the apostle, or he led his brother Peter to Jesus Christ, and look what happened. But we go on to the second one of these four mentions of Andrew in the scriptures that we want to look at and derive a lesson. And that is found in John chapter 6. And I'll be reading verses 4 through 10 from John 6 verses 4 through 10. Now the Passover, a feast of the Jews, was near. Then Jesus lifted up his eyes and seeing a great multitude coming toward him, he said to Philip, Where shall we buy bread that these may eat? But this he said to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, Two hundred denarii worth of bread is not sufficient for them, that every one of them may have a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There is a lad here who has five barley loaves and two small fish. But what are they among so many? Then Jesus said, Make the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down in number about 5,000. And they were all fed. Andrew is the one that produced that little box lunch that this child had to Jesus. The multitude that followed Jesus needed to be fed. But there was no food, so what to do? Though not knowing uh, how he would do it, Andrew knew that Jesus would do something with five loaves and two fish, and he brought it to Jesus' attention. Jesus could have produced food without the loaves and the fish, but I think that Andrew's response was what Jesus was looking for, and he did respond. And so from the five loaves of bread and the two fish that Andrew produced, Jesus fed 5,000 with leftovers. So we need to see the potential in ways and means of carrying on the work of God 
and put them in the Lord's hands. That's the lesson number two from Andrew. Seeing the potential in little things. That's part of vision that we pray for, is being able to see potential in things. Even in small, insignificant things. I think the scriptures uh, address this from several different vantage points. We do today need to see the potential in ways and means of carrying on the work of God and put it into Jesus' hands. So again, never underestimate the potential of even the smallest, least effort put forth in faith. In Colossians chapter 3 and verse 17, the Apostle Paul says, And whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to the Father through him. And then the principle is further stated a little bit further down in verse 23, Colossians 3 verse 23, where Paul continues, and whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not to man. So again, never underestimate the potential in things, especially in small things. And here I'm reminded of a dear brother in Christ who's now deceased but was a member of the Midway family for a few years uh, several years back. I'm speaking of uh, Brother Cliff uh, Robinson. And most of you probably here remember Brother Cliff. He used to sit down uh, toward the front of the auditorium in the center section over on the left-hand side. And the story of Brother Cliff is, is encouraging indeed. And I hope I'm not embarrassing Rex Free by mentioning him in this regard. But uh, Rex relates how that um, he uh, was a ham radio operator, and Cliff, uh, Brother Robinson, was also a ham. And so they were at a, a meeting uh, locally in, in Moulton, and for quite a, a few years, uh, Brother Rex uh, was called upon to lead prayer. And uh, for some reason, Brother Cliff... Um, he was not a brother at the time. But he saw Rex, and he saw something in, in Rex, and went up to him and said, um, uh, I just, I'm impressed. Uh, where, where do you go to church? And Rex told him. And so he was interested, and that led to uh, Brother Robinson having meetings with David. And he obeyed the gospel. He became a Christian. And it was like he was trying to live the rest of his days making up for all the days of his being out of Christ or out of service. And so he looked around. He wanted something to do. Uh, but what could he do? He was advancing in years himself. Uh, it seemed like everything else was being taken care of. Somebody in the congregation was responsible for this and that. But he noticed that a lot of times... Uh, the visitor's card rack on the back of all the pews, a lot of times they, they were empty, or if they had cards, they didn't have pencils in them. So without being asked to do so, he just said, okay, I found a job to do. And he took it upon himself 
to find the cards and the pencils. And from that day forward, as long as he lived, there was never a pocket in any of the benches that was without cards and sharpened pencils. Seeing the potential in little things, he was serving the Lord. And what a powerful example uh, that is for us today. But again, this goes back to Andrew and giving us a lesson in seeing the potential in little things. Don't forget that. But then third and last, uh, the mention, third mention of uh, Andrew that we'll look at is found in Mark chapter 13, verses 1 through 5. Mark 13, 1 through 5. Then as he went out of the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Teacher, see what manner of stones and what buildings are here. And Jesus answered and said to him, Do you see these great buildings? Not one stone shall be left upon another that shall not be thrown down. Now as he sat on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter, James, John, and Andrew asked him privately, Tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign when all these things will be fulfilled? And Jesus answering them began to say, Take heed that no one deceives you. Here, I believe, the lesson for us is to seek understanding from God's Word. After Jesus' prophecy about the destruction of Jerusalem, Andrew, one of the four, inquired of Jesus further. I want to know more about this. Tell us more. So Andrew sought to understand more about the kingdom of God. And in his character, Andrew, as he left his nets to become a follower of John and then of Jesus, he knew that truth resided in Jesus. And we too today need to seek understanding of God's will. In Matthew 7, verses 7 through 8, our Lord said, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks it will be opened. Andrew sought to understand more. Jesus is encouraging us to ask, seek, and knock. So we need also the attitude of the Bereans. We read about in Acts chapter 17, in verse 11, that is familiar with us. Paul talks about the Bereans, and he says, These were more fair-minded than those in Thessalonica, in that they received the word with all readiness and searched the scriptures daily to find out whether these things were so. Seeking knowledge, seek to understand more. Andrew certainly did, the Bereans did, we need to. We need to be diligent in the word. We're familiar with the words of Paul in 2 Timothy 2.15. Be diligent to present yourself, approved to God, 
a workman who needs not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. And so this is a third lesson that we get from the little-known Andrew, that is, seeking understanding. Why do you suppose that we just have these four brief mentions of Andrew? Deliberate inclusion by the Holy Spirit of Andrew in these four instances must have significance. And I believe part of that significance is in these three lessons that we have considered. To comprehend the power of one, to see the potential in the least effort for Jesus to bless to his glory, and to seek deeper understanding of God's word. These are the lessons that we are getting from Andrew this morning. But beyond inspired scriptures, there is also some tradition uh, concerning Andrew. Very early in our uh, working with the Lord's Church in uh, northern Russia, uh, we heard about uh, this tradition that the one who brought the gospel to that region uh, originally was the Apostle Andrew. And that is the tradition. Also in Romania and Ukraine, the tradition is uh, they hold it in common that it was Andrew who brought the gospel there. And uh, next, uh, I believe it's next Sunday, not tonight, Brother Josh we, uh, Webster will be with us tonight. But I believe next Sunday night, uh, a brother will be with us that, that uh, we are familiar with. He's been here before. He's done some work in the, in the Ukraine. And the work in Ukraine and in Romania and in Russia is great for the Lord. Could it be that the tradition is true, that it was Andrew who came around the Black Sea and began to go in, into those regions. Who knows? But I wouldn't doubt but what it's true. Also, tradition has it that uh, Andrew died by crucifixion. So here we have it. Andrew was really just an ordinary man who lived an exemplary life. Most of us are ordinary, really, in the scheme of things. But God can work extraordinary things through us. And that's the perception, that's the perspective that we need to always have. What can God do with me? Alone, by myself, I'm not worth very much. And ask my sister about that. She would confirm that. But with God, what can God through? Look what God did through Andrew. What can God do through us? We're familiar with Paul's word in Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So don't underestimate yourself. You may be in your own estimation Someone of little worth, and you look to others as being the primary ones that are doing great things in the kingdom. But if you are a child of God, God is working through you 
in ways that maybe you're not even aware. So praise God for that and be thankful for that and be encouraged by that. If you're with us in our assembly this morning and you're not a Christian, we encourage you to act upon your faith by confessing Jesus to be the Christ, the Son of God, and repenting of your sins and being baptized in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of sins this very day and begin to let God work through you in great ways. And if there are other ways or things that you need to bring before this congregation by way of asking for prayers or confession of sin, we encourage you to respond as well. Right now, as we stand and sing the song of invitation.